Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and this is NPR News. So glad to have you join us today, the first day of the Spring Member Drive. Yes, we need the help of our listeners to raise more than $400,000 in just eight days to stay on track for our budget goals. Meeting our goals starts today, so we need you and 600 listeners to donate today to start this drive strong. Today, all or all the new or increased monthly gifts will actually be matched through the NPR member fund. So give now and double your impact. Don't wait. Give us a call at 800-227-2811 or make your donation at nprnews.org. Well, this hour, I am talking about some good things happening in Minnesota jails and prisons. Right now, more than 8,000 people are incarcerated across Minnesota in correctional facilities. Thousands more are in county jails and federal prisons in the state. Research shows that when people have access to education and other resources when they're incarcerated, they're much more likely to be successful when they come home to their communities. So over the next hour, we will hear from the leaders and alumni of three programs that provide opportunities opportunity and hope to people behind bars. I'll talk with someone who sang in a prison choir. We'll learn how the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office is bringing new education programs to the county jail. But first, we're going to talk about the power of words and writing as a way to give voice to people behind bars. Here in the studio with me right now, I have two guests. Jennifer Bowen is here. Jennifer is the founder and artistic director of the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Now, the organization teaches creative writing and offers one-on-one mentorships in all the adult state prisons in Minnesota. Good morning to you, Jen. Hi, Angela. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. We also have with us Antonio Williams. Now, Antonio participated in the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop at the Minnesota Correctional Facility at Oak Park Heights. He was released in June of 2020. He's also the founder of Tone Up. Tone Up, an organization in the Twin Cities that helps formerly incarcerated people find a place back into their communities. Antonio, thank you for being here. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me, Angela. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, Jen, you're a writer yourself. Uh, you started the the first prison writing workshop in 2011 at the Lionel Lakes Prison. So tell me more about, about why you wanted to do that. Why did you want to start this? Sure. I didn't actually want to start anything. Um, I just, <laughs> that sounds, it sounds like a lot of work, no, I just, right? I just wanted to teach a class in creative writing and of all of the facilities in the state, Lionel Lakes is the only one that got back to me when I asked if I could come in and volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went in and taught the class, six of the 10 men in that first class stayed. And it was just such an engaging, um, compassionate, creative cohort that um, we just we kept extending the class. It was a good experience for all of us, and we wanted it to keep happening. So what do you see as the power or value of of writing in general? What has it done for you? For sure. I think for most writers, we'll tell you there are a million reasons. Um, Personally, what I love about it is it helps me kind of access my best self. I'm able to be quiet and really kind of find, you know, my my better self on the page. And Mm -hmm. um, I love a a former student of ours, Kevin Reese, says that writing brings him close to, um, to the human family. Mm. Which, which I think is maybe one of the best ways I've heard that said. So how does this program work? Uh, how do you teach people how to write, people who are incarcerated? Or maybe they already have writing skills. Well, you were saying before the show started that if you can speak and tell stories, you can write. And, and certainly there are just some dynamic stories and storytellers already there um, waiting for us. But we come in with a cohort of 
folks in the community who are writers, and we share writing prompts and enduring literature and um, ask them to tell some of the stories that they've been waiting a really long time to tell. Antonio, you participated in a writing workshop in 2017 while you were at the Minnesota Correctional Facility in Oak Park Heights, um, as I mentioned. So what did you get out of that experience? Yeah, I got a lot out of that experience. Um, When you're inside, uh, your options to escape or do anything productive are very limited. Um, Sometimes there's nothing to do. Um, And so when this program was offered, when I learned about it, um, I had already been writing, had a lot of stuff that I was writing, just playing around. Um, And so when I got a structured class that I was invited to, um, it helped me to develop, uh, to hone my talent, my raw talent into like a skill. Um, and it, it helped me dig deeper into the thoughts that I hadn't uh, really, you know, really investigated or analyzed beyond the surface level of, you know, how I felt about my situation, my childhood um, and everything else in the world. So you're processing, you're getting it, it out. Absolutely. And how is this different than a conversation? You know, I'm wondering, you know, how was the community you found in this writing workshop maybe different from conversations and interactions you were having with people inside the correctional facility? Yeah, well, I mean, when you are writing about uh, your experiences, you're reflecting on who you are as a person, um, you tend to have deeper conversations outside of just um, the the meals uh, being horrible in prison, mm-hmm. uh, mistreatment by guards or whatever. You're digging deeper and you're allowing another person into that, that um, you know, vulnerable space. Um, and vulnerable is something that we run away from inside of prisons, and we don't do that a lot. And I imagine you may also be leaning into truth more, mm. even, you know, ugly truths, right? Because it's different than than talking to someone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- you can't escape the ugly truths in, in prison, whether you're talking about it or writing about it. But being able to talk about it in a, in a space and with people who understand you and who respect it and aren't looking at you as weak because you're sharing it, that's what that writing community provided for me. So, Jen, what is unique about uh, teaching uh, people who are incarcerated to write? Uh, because you know, it sounds like you're, you're literally helping people find that voice. Uh, can that be life changing? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I often feel like we're the luckiest of all writing instructors because our students elect to take classes with us. And there's a quote that most of my students um, absolutely resonate with, which is, um, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of us. And so we really do have such a, it's an honor to to be sort of the person, um, one of the people there making space for those stories. Um, it's, it's just, it's a really rare and yeah, incredible experience. Now, Antonio, I understand uh, you've been published. You walked in with the book uh, <laughs> and you've even won a national award for one of your short stories. And I know you brought uh, something in to read today. Yeah. Tell us what you're going to share. Yeah, I'm going to read a short poem called Aftermath. This is a reflection of, you know, the uh, things that prison leaves people with after they come home. Mm-hmm. So go right ahead. Absolutely. Every year spent in prison is like a chapter ripped from the best book ever written. Even after you're released, pieces of your life story are missing. You recreate and you reimagine, but the colors of love 
are duller. The texture of affection doesn't soothe the same. The pain and the ache in the midst of normalcy comes from a darker place, a deeper void, created from the destruction of those chapters. So what does it mean for you to have your thoughts and words get outside of the prison walls, uh, off of a piece of paper or a, a, a laptop, and into the community? Yeah, it means that I'm included. It means that I am a community member still, even though my location has told me that I'm not. It means that I get to access the narrative about me. I get to now be a part of uh, controlling the narrative about me and, and people who are in the place with me. Antonio, you were released in 2020. What are you doing now? <laughs> I'm doing a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm the, the thing I'm most proud of is I'm being a father to my 18-year-old. Um, she just turned 18, April 6th. She'll be graduating June 3rd. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So th- that's the, the biggest thing I'm proud of. And the second biggest thing I'm proud of is running my organization, helping other people who have been incarcerated find resources, find hope, find dignity. Tell me, I said that you're in the introduction, you're the founder of Tone Up. Um, what does Tone Up do? Yeah, so Tone Up stands for teaching ourselves new examples to uplift people. Um, And what we do is we help people find basic resources. Um, Upon their release, upon our release, um, we have very little. Um, And we also have, you know, the burning desire to be welcomed back into our community. So what Tone Up does is create that community. And we hold our people in a dignified way. We do housing, employment, um, civic engagement. We do uh, leadership development and personal development. We want to create leaders. We want to create people who are out here um, finding their place back in community and then helping other people to find their place back in community. Jen, what does uh, society, do you think, what do we gain as a um as a whole, from having arts in the prisons. This is you know, one example, writing. We're going to talk about some others later in the hour, but how do we all benefit from this? Absolutely. Well, I think some of our most hidden stories and untold stories are in prison. We incarcerate such a huge percentage of our population, and some of what that population has gone through before prison is just not, is just not being explored in our literature and in society. And also, prisons are pretty private, right? It's uh, They're hidden spaces. And so the best people to um, report back to the world about what's happening inside those prisons are the people living there. And so I think they also um, help illuminate our kind of criminal justice um, mass incarceration problem. And Antonio, what do you want people to know about, again, the power of writing? Um, I think right now a lot about like young adults right now, Mm -hmm. because we've talked a lot on this show about the youth mental health crisis. And you see writing as a tool that could really just help everyone improve their mental health? Absolutely. Um, I started a journal in 2008 and kept writing in that journal from 2008 to 2020, the day of my release. Um, What writing helped me do was to um, really understand who I was as a person, uh, the different stages of who I was as a person. It helped me, you know, find my confidence, find my voice. um, And it saved my life to be just quite blunt about it. It saved my life in so many different ways. But it, it the, the the greatest thing it did for me was it, it allowed me to mature where prison doesn't allow you to mature. You you are in a stage of stasis for so long when you're in prison. You go in at 18 or whatever age and you come out with that mentality still. Even though you may be 35, 35 40, 40 yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. 
And so uh, you could also look back and read. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is where I was a year ago, five years ago. And that has to be very affirming to see the growth. Absolutely. I mean, I even see the change in my handwriting. (laughs) Like the first writings were so sloppy. And then as years went <laughs> on, right? Last question, Jen. How can people read or hear the writing of uh, people uh, participating in the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop? Sure. Can I do that? Yeah, that's great. Um, every year in October, we have a um, public reading. We usually have around 500 folks that attend. And there we share work from um, people who have written their very first poem to people who have published books. And that's at Ham- Hamlin University. Um, I think this year's reading will be October 27th. Mm -hmm. Um, Former students will also be there to read. And then we also have journals that we don't sell to the public. But if somebody's just dying to read some work, we'll be happy to get them a journal. All right. Our time is up, but I've appreciated this conversation. We've been talking with Jennifer Bowen, the founder and artistic director of the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Uh, Thank you, Jennifer. And Antonio Williams, a writer who participated in the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop before his release in 2020 from the Minnesota Correctional Facility at Oak Park Heights, the founder of Tone Up. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Jennifer. Great to meet both of you. Thank you, Angela. Angela. We're going to continue this conversation about bringing opportunities and hope to people behind bars. We have Sergeant Adam Hernkey with us now. Sergeant Hernkey is with the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, and he's the program director at the Adult Detention Center, where he oversees something called the HOPE program. And HOPE stands for Helping Others by Providing Education. Good morning to you, Sergeant Hernkey. Good morning, Angela. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thank you for your time. Now, I understand that you all are doing some things differently now at the county jail compared to just a few years ago. Tell me how this culture shift came about. Yeah, absolutely. The the shift really started from Sheriff Swanson, who's a sheriff in Flint, Michigan, Genesee County, mm-hmm. who was watching, uh, well, riots going on around the country in 2020. And he was listening to the citizens around him and citizens in Minnesota saying, please reform, please change. And he said to himself, I can change. We can change as a sheriff's office. And he went to his sheriff's office and said, we need to change our jail. We need to offer more. We need to do life skills. We need to do more education. So they did that. And a year later, Sheriff Hutchinson found out about it and sent a team over to Flint, Michigan, one of them being myself, and and learned what they were doing. And uh, it was amazing. So, Sergeant Hernke, what is the culture that you're trying to change? Just offering something in jail. You know, historically, in jail, is we're pretrial facilities, so you're just sitting here waiting to go to trial. Well, mm-hmm. instead of just sitting here waiting, let's give you something. Let's educate you. Let's give you resources So when you do leave, because every single person leaves our jail, you have a leg up. You have a better understanding of what you can do to better yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's a a lot of time. So that time's an opportunity. Now, I have in my notes here that you started a brand new program last year for people older than 21 to get their GED, that adult general equivalency diploma. Um, Why was that a focus and how has that been working? Yeah, absolutely. It was a focus because we were really limiting the people in our jail to education, right? Before that, it was only uh, students under 21 that could get their high school diploma program. That is a very successful program that we've been running Mm -hmm. for years. But 
why not someone older? Um, and we've always had an obstacle in front of us in a pretrial facility of short-term residents, right? They're only mm-hmm. here for 11 days, and it's not worth it. Well, it is worth it because every single person deserves a right to have education. So we made it a priority to get that going as one of our first things to do in our whole program. Mm. And so you said the, the average day is 11 days there? That's right. All right. But there are some people who stay longer. Oh, absolutely. You know, depending on what kind of charge they're facing, you know, it could be a year, it could be two years. Mm. We have no idea. Or it could be two days. Mm-hmm. And how many people uh, are incarcerated there at the Hennepin County um, Adult Detention Center? Currently, we have about 710. 710. So, again, giving people access to educational programs, um, we know will make them more more likely to be successful when they come out. And I know that you're having a resource fair in June inside the jail itself. So I'm trying to envision this. A resource fair inside the jail in June. Who is coming and what uh, what are they going to be helping people with? Well, if you think of a resource fair, you think of a community center, right? Somewhere where all these people can go in and, and look at the tables and pull out flyers. Well, our our residents can't go do that. They can't go out into the community to do that. So we said, let's just bring that community into the jail. So we have a variety of different people from treatment centers to employment opportunities, educational facilities are coming in, second chance employers, um, things, all, all kinds of different things. And I imagine too, I know many people when they come out and they start the process of looking for a job, there's some basic needs like need to know how to access transportation. Maybe they need an ID. And so are those examples of some of the folks that will come in to explain like this is the process and this is what you're going to need? Yeah, absolutely. The, the best resources that we have in Hennepin County is our social workers. And our social workers are absolutely going to be there in full force to give people the resources so that they know where to go. And we're working on some wraparound services in the community. So when everyone leaves, we can send them to one location that um, can kind of guide them and help them in one spot, one, one stop shopping. And so then while they're sitting there, they're thinking about and already can formulate a plan of what to do when they walk out the doors. And have you seen some personal stories of just how that's made a big difference? Yeah, I have. We had uh, one GED student, um, great student, very interactive. He got released, which is common. Um, And he went home and he told his parents, hey, I started my GED class. And his dad said, no, we we don't do education. You know, we don't need it. And he goes, no, I think I really want it. And dad, I want you to join me. I have an address. I have a phone number. I know how to get started right where I left off. Let's go together. Mm-hmm. And he convinces dad to go, and, and uh, they walked into adult education from Minneapolis Public Schools. And the same teacher that taught him here in our jail is the same teacher who teaches in that facility, said hi, welcome, gave him a big hug, and said, let's get back to work. Mm. That's a great story. And as we think about um, how we navigate the world, it takes help, it takes connections, networking. So what are you all able to do to help uh, people who've been behind bars um, find jobs? Is there, is there a, an opportunity to help with that with referrals or just, um, you know, connecting them with ways to be successful in interviews? Yeah, absolutely. When, when someone's incarcerated and they say they end up getting a, a felony on their record, 
many employers, unfortunately, can't have them be employers um, for whatever reason, right? But there are plenty of employers out there who I call a second chance employer, someone who will overlook that past record and give them a chance to prove themselves for a second chance. And what, what we've done in our program is find some of those second chance employers. So when someone's in jail and they they come and tell us, hey, I'm going to be leaving, but I need a job, I need some money, we can give them an employer to go talk to. It's not a guaranteed job offer, but it's at least somewhere to start uh, their process. And, you know, just in talking with you, uh, Sergeant Harkey, I, I can tell in your voice that this is uh, very personal to you. You sound very passionate about it. And I'm just wondering, is there something in your own personal story that really helps you relate to people who um, have had a really bad chapter and need help uh, seeing a better future? Yeah, there is, Angela. Uh, Second chances. Um, In 2018, I suffered a seizure while working. Uh, I fell in my head, got a traumatic brain injury and was diagnosed with epilepsy. Mm. And I fell into a great deep hole of depression. And I didn't know what to do. And there was nobody to really help me. You know, my employer didn't really know what to do with my medical condition. And even my attorneys didn't really know how to fight for me. So I kind of had to do it on my own. The sheriff's office gave me a second chance. They gave me a chance to come back and come to work and work in jail programs, work with the residents in our jail to help them. And I've certainly made it my personal mission to help everybody that I can. And I'm sure uh, I can hear it in your voice. I'm sure if I met you in person, I could see it in your face. Um, And your interactions with uh, people who have uh, come out of the jail, gone on to to accomplish some of their goals. Uh, Have some folks gotten back to you and to say thank you, Sergeant Harnke? Oh, yeah. We offer... uh Our business card has a phone number and an email that we give out to every resident that we talk to that if you get out and you need additional help or you want to just contact us, let us know. Give us a call. Give us an email. And whether it's uh, one of our students who uh, administered um, a GED exam and passed it in our jail is now out in the community back in school at Minneapolis Public School Adult Basic Education he emails me and lets me know, hey, I'm out of treatment, I'm sober, um, I'm back in school, and it's because of what you guys did for me to get me back on track. And I have multiple people that call me just to say hi, just to say thank you. And when you think of a culture change, how many times do you hear people saying, I got out of jail, and when I did, I called the jail for help? That is, that's not normal. But that is the new norm that we're trying to establish here. And for folks who are listening who uh, want to see continued success uh, in the HOPE program, um, anything that you want to add in the future or that you need help with? Well, I do want to add some more things. Um, Some things include some life skill classes, some workbook classes. These workbook classes provide certificate of completions. This is a very tangible item that we can give our residents that show completion, show success that they've completed. Mm-hmm. We would also like to offer some trade skill learnings. Now, trade skill learnings in a correctional facility is difficult, but we found a way to do that using virtual reality. There's a system out there that will teach people how to do welding, construction, electrical, and plumbing 
in the jail done virtually, if someone thinks that that's a line of field that they want to, mm-hmm. I will refer them to that union representative to get them that job. Unfortunately, all of that stuff costs money. And being a new program, we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of money for it. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to seek that funding to help that to, to grow this process. We've been talking with Sergeant Adam Hernke, uh, who's with the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office. Uh, thank you, uh, Sergeant Hernke, for taking time to talk with us and explain the work that you do. Uh, he's the program director at the Adult Attention Center in Hennepin County, where he oversees the HOPE program. And again, HOPE stands for Helping Others by Providing Education. Again, thank you, Sergeant, for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Angela. appreciate it. This hour, we're talking about some of the good things happening in Minnesota jails and prison to help those who are incarcerated become better prepared for life when they are released. I have one more program I want you to know about this hour. Listen to this. Resilience, one of my favorite words. Uh, Those were singers with the Voices of Hope, a choir that meets every week at the Minnesota Correctional Facility in Shakopee, where women are incarcerated. The group also recently started a men's choir that meets in the Minnesota Correctional Facility in Stillwater. And here with me today in the studio to tell us more about this music program, I have Brittany Coleman Arneson, the Executive Director of Voices of Hope. Good morning to you, Brittany. Good morning. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. And we have Ashley Casey here, too. Ashley sang with the choir at Shakopee until she was released in 2018. She's part of a small alumni group of women who sing at community events now in the Twin Cities. And Ashley, good to meet you. Glad you could join us. Good morning. So Brittany, tell us uh, how this choir got started and what's with the stomping that goes with the singing. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should say, first of all, the composer of that piece is Abby Bettinas, who's a local Minnesota composer. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yes, uh, Voices of Hope was founded by Amanda Weber. Um, she is our founder and artistic director, and she would be in this seat today, but she's home with her brand new baby. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, shout out to Amanda. Congratulations. Um, back in 2015, um, the uh, education director at Shakopee at that time, Jim Verhoy, was looking to start a choir um, at the Shakopee prison. And um, he reached out to various choir directors in the area and somehow was connected with Amanda, who was at that time a graduate student at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amanda had had experience um, directing a homeless choir in D.C., so she sort of was used to um, working with unusual choir populations. And um, she volunteered to go in and, and start a choir at Shakopee in October of 2015. Um, so that's how the group got started. And so I, I'm wondering, the women, do do many of them identify like, yeah, I can sing? Or is it, you know, how do you get women to participate? Great question. Um, well, and I think Ashley can probably speak to this too. But um, yeah, it, it's a really a wide range. So there are people um, who sing in the choir who have experienced singing in choir before, um, either, you know, in school or mm-hmm. maybe a church choir. Um, some have music degrees, so come with, you know, a really high level of, of knowledge of 
singing in choir. Um, but many do not. Many are having their first experience singing in a choir. Um, and, and find music to be and singing to be healing. Yes, yes, right. absolutely. And, uh, and Ashley, I, I've uh, talked a lot about how music is healing. To me personally, we've done whole talk shows about it. And, and my first question to you is, is singing and music, is it, does it make you feel better? It does. Um, it makes me able to express how I'm feeling. And when I did it in the choir, it gave me my identity back because in there they strip you of your name, they give you a number and you don't really feel like a person in there. And it's very closed off to the world. And so when I joined the choir, Amanda was very good on making me feel like a person and an individual again, and I could sing. And when you're around the prison, you can't sing, you can't be your per- yourself. They won't let you do that. And so when we did that choir every Sunday, it was a I was able to sing and let my feelings out and feel like a person again. Mm, so just in in as part of the rules, you mm-hmm. can't walk around and and be singing out loud. Nope. <laughs> okay, so you were in the first group to join the choir back in 2015. So you're part of that founding choir, yes. <laughs> all right? Um, and why did you want to step up and do this? And and what made you sign up? Um, it was at first it was something to do, an activity to get me out of my room and get me out of the living unit. And once I started going, and Amanda, you know, got the the lyrics of the songs and se- themselves are just amazing, and they help you heal as a person in there and. I, I had been doing singing my entire life, so it was a activity that I could actually sing and do what I wanted to do. And did you find that being in the choir, did it help you, um, you know, sort of express some emotions too? Because some songs can be happy, some songs can be sad. Uh, was it therapeutic? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were um, times when we did our choir rehearsals where Amanda would give us time and space to say our stories or how we were feeling write down words to say how we felt as individuals. And it was a very healing experience for me. And so how is uh, being in a choir and singing and in rehearsals? How is that different than talking to people having conversations with someone? Um, You know, you're able to make lasting friendships with people inside and outside. And I've been able to keep those friendships that I made in there as well as out here and being part of it out here as well as in there. It's, it's really helped me heal in my journey of being released from prison as well. And being around people who don't, it doesn't matter that I have a criminal history or that I have a past, they just accept me for who I am. Um, Brittany, I understand that um, that Voices of Hope, it's Voices Plural, or is it, oh, Voices mm-hmm. Plural, plural Voices of Hope, uh, just started up again in the prisons this February and um, that there are concerts. Yes, well, we hope so. Um, so before COVID, before the pandemic, um, the Shakopee Prison was on sort of a quarterly system of um, offering a concert at the end of each three-month period. Um, but occasionally, those concerts wouldn't be able to happen for um, reasons outside of our control. The prison maybe went on lockdown or mm-hmm. um, something else happened where the, the concert was canceled. Um, and then, of course, during the pandemic, we, we didn't meet for nearly three years. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we provided some... Um, virtual programming, weekly virtual programming. But now we're back inside in both facilities. And um, fingers crossed, there will be a concert in the Shakopee facility on June 4th. And who's in the audience? Family members or friends of, of the, the women who are incarcerated? Who comes um, to the concert? The people that are incarcerated, the women. Right. You can sign up to go to a concert in there, mm-hmm. and it'll uh, allow us to go see a program in there. When I talked about, or when Brittany was talking about the pandemic shutting down um, choir rehearsals and performances, what was that like? 
Um, I was already out when the pandemic hit, but Mm -hmm. I, from being in there and dealing with lockdowns myself, it's a very hard thing to deal with. And it's very, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the word, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but you're locked in your room for 23 hours a day. Uh, You come out to shower every couple of days Mm -hmm. and um, it's very hard to be in there. And I know COVID, they were locked down for a long period of time and not having that programming is very detrimental to someone trying to change their life in there. Ashley, I want to hear more of the singing. Um, so we heard the resilient song in the introduction. Let's hear some uh, more music and singing. And this piece we're going to hear now is called I Am Becoming. Let's listen. Listening to the Voices of Hope Choir um, in the Minnesota Correctional Facility there in Shakopee, women singing I Am Becoming. What do those lyrics mean to you, Ashley? Um, The lyrics, I am not my past, and that, you know, we all have a history. Some of us have worse ones than others, and... um, We're all (laughs) becoming. We're all moving forward. Um, And I'm who I am now, not my past. Right. And why is that powerful to, to say that, to sing that, to know that? Um, that, you know, I know I've made mistakes in my life and that I took the time in there to do all the programming I could and to change my life completely. And I've been out since 2018 without any problems. I have restored relationships with my family. I've made healthy relationships for the first time in my life. And overall, it's just been a whole different life that I'm living now. Mm-hmm. And do you walk around singing and humming, Ashley? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, why is it important, do you think, you know, we heard in the beginning of the show from people who are offering writing programs. We've heard about educational and career resources. Why are these educational and arts programs significant, do you think, for people who are incarcerated? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the arts is so universal, right? And Mm -hmm. singing in particular is so... um, vulnerable. So when you sing, you're sort of opening up your heart, right? In your breath in this really, yes, physical breathing differently, you're standing Mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of of research that supports uh, singing being a healing exercise in prison or elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. This isn't, you know, just the case for people who are incarcerated. It's it's true um, in any choir. And so they're singing the physical experience of singing um, yourself, but then when you're entering into that vulnerable space with people next to you, everybody is opening up together and being vulnerable together in that way, and you're creating something that you couldn't create on your own. So it's this really deep um, community building exercise that um, I don't think is really replicable in any other activity. Is there something powerful standing next to and in front of and behind other people as you sing that really maybe instills more confidence? Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, you're able to stand next to somebody maybe that you don't know or that, you know, you maybe you want to get to know, but they're all individuals. They're all different people, whether they're inside Shakopee or outside out here. And 
they're they're all accepting and to sing next to somebody it kind of for me it helps me sing a little better <laughs> yeah I've, I've never been invited to join a choir because i can't sing <laughs> but great admiration for people who can and uh great admiration for both of you and the work that you're doing thank you for sharing your story uh we've been talking with Brittany coleman arneson the executive director of voices of hope and ashley casey who sang with the voices of hope choir in the minnesota correctional facility in shakopee and has continued singing with alumni of the group after being released thank you both for coming today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.